Good morning, everybody. Um, we've already done that. So um, how about all that white rain out there today, right? Um, that was awesome. Uh, it is good to be with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, if you want to grab it, uh, whether it's your phone or, or an actual Bible, uh, Psalm 42, that's where we're going to be at. Uh, and we're talking, uh, we're continuing our series on why we love the church and, and talking about what it is uh, about the church that, that God does in the church. Uh, just to kind of recap you a little bit on, uh, we've, we've talked about things like uh, the history of the church uh, and uh, what, what the church has done and, and, and where it's come from and uh, the history of the church through the ages. We've talked about the people of the church and, and the people in the church and why even though the church is filled with, yes, imperfect people that we can still say we love the church because of those people and because of how God works in our midst through even those imperfect people. And we've talked about, especially with those two subjects, history and people, how the church hasn't always gotten it right. Uh, the, the, the church hasn't been perfect throughout its history. The church hasn't been perfect in either how the people have related together or how we've treated people outside the church. And we're willing to admit that and yet still say that we love the church. Last week, Pastor uh, Ed talked about our, our theology or, or better yet, our teaching and how all of it is grounded in Scripture, and that we can come together and we can hear from the Word of God and be instructed in our lives to, to live out a life devoted to Jesus Christ through God's Word. And notice, I, I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't put in the theology part with the like imperfect people in history part, because the hope is that we are using, as we talk about our theology, we're using Scripture as our basis and our compass for what God is after and what God wants uh, for us. And I love the church because it is a place where we come to learn. Just, I mean, for instance, uh, last week was a learning experience for Pastor Ed. Um, he, uh, during the sec uh, in between the first and second service, uh, Ed was talking to a, a few people and uh, he kind of motioned me to come over. So I, I walk over and, and Ed says, have you ever heard of this? And he shows me this paper and it says, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And I was like, yeah, that's the B-I-B-L-E song. And Ed goes, I've never heard this thing before in my life. How you become a lead pastor and haven't heard the B-I-B-L-E is beyond me. What in the world did you get asked in your interview, Ed? Man, geez, like... Um, no, and I'm thankful for that, that Ed learned that because I'm pretty sure that the B-I-B-L-E song is the password to get into heaven when you die. And so now Ed is not going to be stuck on the outside looking in. But it is a place where we come together and we hear from God's word and we grow together through that. And so in the same vein, we're talking this week about why we love the church. It's a little bit different and yet it's the same. We love the church because God is present in the church. God is present here, right? Can, can we all agree? Even if you come in this morning or you're listening and you're a little skeptical about that, like, you know what? I'm not sure God's present in the church all the time. Can we just agree that for the next little while, like the next hour and a half that I'm talking, that God is present in the church, that we can come here and he has promised us and it is sure that we will find him here, okay? Let's just start there because there's bigger fish to fry. One of those is, okay, I can find God in the church, great, but is the church necessary 
for me to experience God? Is the church even valuable for me to experience God? Better yet, is the church vital? Because I know, I believe, and we even say, God is a God of relationship. God is all about a personal relationship with us. And we see that all the way through Scripture, from the very beginning of time up until now, that God is all about knowing you and me personally. And so if it is a personal relationship that God is after with me, doesn't it make sense that I can actually find God anywhere I want to? Anywhere I go, there God can be if I'm just open and willing to allow him to be there with me, right? I'll say, yes, absolutely. So how is it then that we can say that the church is vital? And that's what we want to talk about. That God's presence here is a reason why we love the church and how that presence of God in the church is different in some way. And does that even make sense to say? It's a weird question to ask because, I mean, after all, I'm sitting here talking to a bunch of people who came to church today, right? And, and, and to try to convince you of this. But it's a question that is asked a lot. And it's a question that if we're truthful, sometimes I bet we even ask that. I've had a great week in my devotions, right? Do I really need to get up and give time on my Sunday to go to church? I've actually experienced God the other six days of the week. I'm just going to keep that flow going, right? We ask this question of ourselves. And if you go on Google and you just type in really quickly, you can do it now if you want to, but you're going to miss out on like the best sermon of your life. If you go on Google, though, and you just type in finding God outside the church, the internet is full of articles where people say, it wasn't until I left the church that I found God. I found God better leaving the church. And what's more is you read those articles and then you go through and you look at the comment sections and it's people saying, oh my goodness, this is so refreshing. This is exactly what I needed to hear. This is the same journey that I'm on right now and it's so good to know that someone else has gone through it. And yes, it's not even that the church is valuable. It's actually I, the church was getting in my way of finding God. There's a pastor up here this morning that wants to tell you we love the church because God is here and you can find him here. And it sounds a little self-serving. But I would actually argue, apart from Scripture, and we're going to get to Psalm 42 here in a second, I promise. Apart from Scripture, though, our experiences even indicate to us how important and vital church is. And just experience in the fact that I guarantee you Sunday morning is the hardest morning for you to get up and get out of the house during the week, right? Especially if you have kids. If you have kids, you hate Sunday mornings, don't you? Like Sunday mornings, it doesn't matter. You can have a soccer game at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday and you're out of the house at 5.45, no problem. But my goodness, getting into church at 10.45, that is a struggle, right? I mean, our, our kids are notoriously terrible sleepers. And one of the ways that this manifests itself is our kids wake up every morning at 6 o'clock on the dot. Doesn't matter when we put them to bed. We can put them to bed at 7 at night or midnight. They're up at 6 a.m. The thing is, though, that since we've been here, I, since, since coming to OCEC, uh, we now have two services and I have to be at the church a lot earlier in the morning. And so I'm not able to help Hannah on Sunday mornings to get the kids ready. And I tell her I feel guilty about that. Um, I don't feel guilty about that. 
Um, there might be a little part of me that doesn't mind getting up and going into church and not having to dress the two kids to get to church. But every morning, I ask her the same question when she gets to church. How were the kids this morning? And every Sunday morning, she tells me, I had to wake them up. Our kids who will not wake up before 6 a.m. It is so, or who will wake up at 6 a.m. It is so reliable, I have stopped actually setting my alarm clock. My kids are my alarm clock now. I am always up at 6 a.m. So you can text me, call me, email me. I'll be up. But on Sunday mornings, our kids want to sleep in. The kids who hate sleep will not wake up. And we all know this in our lives, right? Just the, the fact that Sunday morning, getting to church on Sundays is hard. Just that experience alone says there's something vital about that maybe, of getting there. That, that if I were to wake up on Sunday morning and say, I, I'm, I'm going anywhere else, it would be so much more of a breeze. And yet I know because it's there that I want to go. There just always seems to be an issue with even just getting there. But the great thing is, is that even beyond our own experiences, and we're like, yeah, what's the deal with that? Scripture talks about this very thing. And that's where we want to go this morning. So let's go to Psalm 42, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 together. And we're just going to read those verses and then talk about them. Hang on a second. There we go. Okay. Psalm 42. For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. So there's a few things about this psalm. Uh, the first hurdle for us is to read the psalm without singing the song, right? I'm not going to sing it because I'm a terrible singer. I like clam up when I'm in front of people and they're like, oh, sing. I could talk to you all day long singing. No, right? As the deer pinned for the all that stuff, right? Everything? Okay. Like Ed kind of copped out on it last week. I'm copying out on it this week. Um, Justin like keeps giving us challenges like from the youth group. I have youth, we have youth kids now like walking up to us every Sunday like, you got to say this. Like Justin is trying to dictate what we preach about. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Who's this youth pastor think he is? Um, right? So... Just get that out of your mind, right? And let's, let's talk about what's here. But as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And he uses this amazing illustration that's so simple and yet so profound, right? As a deer thirst for water. I mean, we could go in and we could talk about how we need, you know, there are just a few essential things that we need in our life. One of them is water. And a deer is no different. 
And so he's thirsting for the very thing that he has to live on. There's actually, it's, 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 it's a desire, a desperation for it because he realizes, he knows that without it, he will not survive. I actually, I, as I was preparing this morning, I thought to myself, whoa, wouldn't it be cool? Like, so I, I, I got this thought, how long can a deer live without water? I'm not a hunter, I have no idea. And so I, I Googled it because you can ask stupid questions now that you can Google it and get the answer in two seconds. And so I, I just got on real, uh, on real quick and I was like, how long can a deer go without water? And it was so frustrating because I thought, oh my goodness, if it's something like crazy, like a deer can't live more than like half a day without drinking water, oh, the, the sermon illustrations I can make off of that. I, I pull up the site and the second line that it says is deer can actually live a very long time without water if they don't, if they don't have access to it. It's like, darn it, I can't use that. But I read down a little bit longer before I got done, and uh, at the end of the paragraph it says, but we know that deer who are especially growing require more water than normal. If you want to grow, you need the very thing that gives life. And the more you want to grow the more you need it. There are a lot of things in our life that can sustain us. There is only one thing as essential as water, and that is for us, God. The psalmist knows this. And so he says, I need to go to the source. And what's more is I need to figure out how to get it. I need it so bad and I require it so much that I will do whatever it takes to get there. And and it struck me how we will do this in our lives. The very things that we we feel like fill us up, the very things that give us life, we will structure our lives around them. We will figure out ways to get to them. We will make sure that we're never too far away so it's right there. I mean, who hates being thirsty, right? And so let's figure out ways. We'll we'll actually make ourselves into what we need to be so that we can have whatever it is we feel like we need the most. The thing that shapes us is the thing that also shapes our lives, our actions, our attitudes, all of that. There's probably like no better example of this than kids. I, I, I told the first service, I said, I, most of my sermon illustrations have to do with kids because like they are the best living example. I actually, I, the testimony is that I keep having kids just to have more sermon illustrations. And so um, we're not done yet. Uh, and so, uh, but uh, one thing that was really eye-opening was when, when your children start to speak, and especially when they start to put phrases together, and how it points out what is important to them, and, and, and even what's scary is how they've been raised. So with Eden, our, our first child, um, the first phrase, multi-word phrase that she ever said was, I love you. And I was like, yes, I am an awesome parent. Uh, because like that is the phrase you want your kid to say first, right? That means you're saying it to them. They feel that it's a proper way of expressing themselves. She is able to express herself, all that kind of stuff. I was like, I am the best parent ever. Wesley was very different. Um, my son loves to eat. He is a bottomless pit. He takes that, he's made in my image. And so uh, he's always eating. And so what Wesley would do when he was younger, before he really started talking, he realized though, if he went over to our cabinets and just pointed and grunted, we would get him this. We'd get him whatever he wanted. And we'd like sit there for like 10 minutes playing the guessing game. What is it you want until he was happy? 
After doing that for a while, Wesley walked over to the cabinets and he said, Dada, get it. That was my son's first multi-word phrase. Get it. And I was like, man, I'm a terrible parent. Um, He actually learned how to say what it was he wanted. He learned ways to get the very thing his heart desired most. Dada, get it. The psalmist is crying that out. The psalmist is telling us, he's telling us of the importance of his own life, but also declaring to us the importance of knowing that our greatest need is God and that he is God. And wherever we have to go, we need to be willing to do that in order to get him. My soul thirsts for nothing other than God, for the living God. But he goes on. And there's an issue. It strikes us at the very start that he's talking to just about how, how famished he is, how thirsty he is. And, and, and he says there in verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. And this is where, if we're reading it with fresh eyes or for the first time or reading really past those first two verses that everybody knows because of the song, right? It's where we say, well, what, what's the deal? What's missing? Because as we said before, God is a God of relationship and God wants to know us. And we know even more because of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done that we have full access to God whenever we want, whenever we need it. So, so how in the world can you say anything's missing? How, how, how can you say my, th- my soul thirsts for God? Well, just get on your knees and pray, man, right? He's right there. And especially how can he say that in light of what we read in verses 5 and 6? If you look there in verse 5, he says, you know, I am so downcast. My soul is so disturbed. And he says, but yet I will praise him. Like this guy, was, he was already talking to God. He knows of, of the dynamics of having a personal, personal relationship with God. And he was doing that. He was living that out. In verse 6, he says, again, I'm downcast, but I will remember you. It's like, well, what, what in the world is missing? He, he knows that he's able to talk to God anywhere he's at. He's able to have that relationship at any time. And the answer for us comes in verse 4. There in verse 4, he says this, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And get this. I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He says the thing that's missing in his life is the temple. But notice he doesn't really, he says it's the house of God. And we don't have a temple uh, these days. The closest correlation for us could be the church, right? And that's, it's a really good uh, correlation to draw because what he's talking about is not just about the temple. It's about what the temple facilitated, and that was the worship of the body of God together. Worshiping together was the thing, is the thing that he is missing from his life. He, he still knows God. He still has a relationship with God. He's still able to talk to God. And yet he says, there is something desperate within me to be with God's people again, worshiping him in that way. As good as the one-on-one relationship with God is, 
as good as it can be, it doesn't replace, the psalmist tells us, gathering with God's people together. And it's not even about them. It's not about the teaching. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about him. It's about God. It's about how we find God, how we interact with God. The psalmist is making the case to us that when God's people come together as one and they raise up their voices to him and they worship him and they sit under his teaching and they hear his word and all these things that we associate with the church, God is present in a way that they don't find anywhere else. And actually, you know, let me stop there because that's actually like kind of bad theology. That God is present at church in a way that he's not present with you one-on-one because we actually believe God is the same always. He does not change. And what's even more is I firmly believe God does not hold himself back from us. God is always willing to give you as much of himself as you are ready to take. And so we can't really say, well, God says, okay, hey, in your devotional time, you get this part of me, but not this part of me. So maybe the way to say it is in that God, when we come together, is more present or present in a different way. Maybe it's that he's more visible to us. And in that, we come into contact with God in a way that we don't when it's just me and him. That maybe when we come together, I see God working in a bigger way than just individually in my life. Maybe I see God working in other people. Maybe I see God doing things where he confirms to me something he's been talking to me about. Maybe he makes me aware of something that never even crossed my mind. Maybe he challenges me. He talks to me about things I don't want to be talked about. Whatever it might be, God is visible to us when we are together as the body of Christ in a way that he is not in our personal devotion time, at the coffee shop, whatever we might think we can find God better in. It's not to diminish those times. It's not to say that God isn't there. But God, the psalmist says, man, I know I had it and I'm not able to be there. I'm not able to have it and something is missing. I am desperate for it. I desire it. And an aspect of my relationship with God is just not fulfilled as it was before. This is the place where we need to be careful that we don't mistake, as we often do, the temple for God, or better yet, the church for God. Nowhere in here does the psalmist tell us, I need to get back to the temple because that's where I found life. He says, I need to get back to that, that kind of worship with those kind of people. Why? Because that's where I found God. The church is not your source of life. God is. But he also tells us, and we also see through our own experience, through what the psalmist is telling us here, God is present here, though. He has promised that, that you can bet when you come to a church, a body of believers, at any time, God is going to be there. It's almost as if the psalmist is telling us, if I knew one place that God was going to show up, it was when we did this. And I don't have it anymore, and my goodness, how much I miss it, how much I need it. That if God were to say to you, you can bet if you do this, I will be there. Would we say, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure I don't miss it? 
I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that the heart of my life, the point of my life is to worship you, to know you. That's what the psalmist wants. That's what he's desiring is to worship and know and come in contact with the living God. There's a lot of ways that we could define worship, but we could talk about worship and I could give you a bunch of quotes that sound really good and you'd be like, oh my goodness, those are really amazing quotes. Just for a working definition this morning, just, let's just say that the true aim of worship is to know and stand before God. And the psalmist says, I need that more than anything else. In verse four, just this one verse offers us a lot of examples. Ed talked last week about teaching, about hearing from God's work. And I'm, I'm not really gonna talk about that much because um, if you weren't here, you haven't listened to it yet, you don't get out of it. You still need to go back and listen to it. But the importance of that and how that's even a part of, of what the psalmist is talking about. But he talks about a few other things. He talks about what we normally define as worship and that is raising up our voices. He says there in verse four, right? With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throngs. That they were singing out, that they were worshiping God. That we can actually find the presence of God when we raise our voices together. I mean, we all know it, right? That when you come to church, there are just certain songs uh, at, at church that are like the it songs. And by that, I mean that like whenever you sing it, it just feels like the room comes alive, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I actually, Dave walked into my office this week and so I just asked him, I said, hey, you do the stuff for the first service. So like, what are some it songs? And he like listed like eight songs off the top of his head. He's like, I know when we sing these, those people are gonna belt these things out. That God's presence comes alive, is there in a way when we are together singing out his praise in his name that doesn't happen on our own that we see God move and work through and, and bring people together in ways that we don't see anywhere else in any other organization that the world has to offer us. That because what is actually going on, and we often forget this about our worship, and it's so vital, is that actually when we worship, when people worship, the theological idea is, is that, that we are actually binding ourselves to the one who is being proclaimed. That when we sing out the glory of God and Jesus Christ, that we are actually proclaiming and saying, this is what I've attached my life to. This is what I need. This is who I am. The psalmist says there is something powerful and God reveals himself in a way when we do that that cannot be replicated in any other form of worship. What we're actually doing is we're partaking in eternity when we do this. And that when we see this as something we don't need, when we see this as something that's very easy to pick or choose whether or not we come to or do or enter into or any of those things, we fail to realize that when we don't join in with God's people and worshiping his name and binding ourselves to the one that's being proclaimed, we are actually cutting eternity out of our lives. Revelation tells us that the goal is, where we're all going to, is that we will be gathered around the throne of God and we will be singing out his praises and his glory for eternity. And so what we do when we gather together and we worship is we actually start doing eternity now. We actually get to see what it's going to be like when God is glorified by everyone. 
How awesome that is. It's not a requirement. God has given you and me a gift that we get to see him, we get to proclaim him, and we get to start practicing eternity now. And when we give up on it, when we act like we don't need it, we are essentially saying God's plan and desire and goal for us, I've got better ways I can come into contact with him. I know he said this is how he wants to spend eternity with me, but I'd rather do it in a coffee shop with him. And we cheat ourselves of one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. What the psalmist also points to and and talks to us about is is the idea that when we come together, we can actually serve one another and how vital that is. Actually, some of your translations, it didn't say this here in my NIV, but some of your translations as it's talking about him going up to the house of God, he actually talks about leading people. That in worshiping with other people, he actually is able to come to a place where he becomes more concerned about the growth of others and them experiencing Jesus Christ. Well, for him it was God. Then he himself experiencing him. That, that actually, that, that, is, that is a goal. That actually there's something amazing that happens whenever I become more concerned about how everyone else around me is coming into contact and growing with God than I am even about myself. And how that through God's scripture, he tells me time and time again that that is his heart, that I lay down my life for the sake of those around me, that I lay down my life that people may know him and grow in him. And that through that, I actually come closer to the heart of God than I'm able to in my own personal even prayer time when that is my entire life. That the church and God's presence in the church brings me into contact with him and experience with him, seeing him move in a way when I finally let go of all of my stuff, my expectations, my preferences, my wants and desires, and I come to you and I say, what is it that you need? What do you want? How in the world can I help you today experience the love of Jesus Christ? Without the church, we lose that ability. And we lose the ability to fellowship together. We lose the ability to have something, a part of who we are in God, remind us that it's bigger about us than just us. It's bigger than ourselves. That it's actually bigger than just even the idea of me and God. It's about God's plan in in creation for eternity. That we actually need more than ourselves to truly know God. I love the way Gerald Wilson talks about this, where he says, for someone to be cut off from the experience of communal worship is to be cut off from the sustaining ground of faith and hope and to be left to one's own poor devices to survive. And many don't. There's something within us that if we're just left to ourselves, we're gonna fall short. I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced that, that you don't have all the answers. You don't have the whole picture. You don't see everything that's going on. It's like somehow God knew that. And he knew that we needed to be reminded of that. And to be given a window to see. I, I love the illustration Pastor Ed used last week, and I was so mad that I didn't come up with it on my own. That's why he's a lead pastor. 
And the idea of needing a window and talking about how like the difference between having an office like with a window to the outside and without a window to the outside. And how like so many things can be going on in the world and you can never be aware of it simply because you are not looking outside yourself in your own environment. I walk into Justin's office just to look outside sometimes. And I know he looks at me and he's like, why in the world are you in here? And I try to come up with like some fake topic to talk to him about just so I can sit in there and see the sun for a few minutes. Because we need that. We need the fellowship of one another to remind us that God is up to bigger things in the world than just us. It's all these things that the psalmist puts together and he says, man, without that, I am missing something. It's not that I can't find God. It's not that I don't experience him. But man, I am missing something I need desperately in my life without being able to join in with God's people to do that together. I truly believe because of my own experience, but also because of what God's word says, that we cannot experience all of God without the church. Because he has said he will be here. It's not because we say so. It's not because your pastors want you to believe that so you keep coming so it's job security for us. Because believe me, I know pastors, I'm one, we'll preach even when nobody's around. I've done it. We don't need you guys here to preach at. We can preach to ourselves good and fine. We believe and we love the church because God is here. Not because we say it's that way, but because he's set it up that way. And our lives show it. Our lives spell it out. I was thinking about this and I was trying to come up with like, what are objections people might have to this? And, and I came up with a few. One was, it was actually this guy's job. He, he, we're told that he's a son of Korah. Uh, Korah was a l- priest. He was, he was a Levitical musician actually. And he was appointed by David to lead the temple worship. And so his sons did the same thing. And you might say, oh, well, it's pretty self-serving then. I think though, looking at it, he, look, he just talks about God. Not his role. Not that he got anything from it. Not that the pension and the benefits were great. And I'd start thinking about that and I thought, who better to know though how God works and how God is present when we gather together better than somebody who did it all the time. Better than somebody who saw that played out time and time again. It's pretty easy to look at this and say, well, it's just a, you know, saying that you have to be at church or or God's there visibly in a different way than in your life and that sort of thing. It's an Old Old Testament versus New Testament sort of thing. That Jesus has come in that we have freedom, we have grace, we can experience God all the time, complete access to God, unlike it was before. And so you're just not understanding the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I was thinking about that and I thought, well, but as I read the New Testament though, it talks about this. It talks about the idea that where two or more are gathered, there I am also. We like the two part because that means I can do it in my house, basically. We forget the more part. We also forget that it talks about not forsaking the assembling together. Or that it talks about there in the early church in the first part of Acts, how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, yada, yada, yada. Can you yada, yada scripture? I don't know. Um... All those things. What's more is looking at the Old Testament. 
The idea that these guys somehow didn't understand that they could have a personal relationship with God, well, then you haven't read the Psalms. The Psalms are all about a personal relationship with God, all about knowing God individually, and yet they still maintained the importance of coming together as a community, as believers, and proclaiming his name and seeing what he's doing on a scale larger than themselves. The third thing, and this, was probably, this is probably the hardest one, I think, objection to this idea that we need this, that we love the church because God is here. We see God in a way that we don't ask for. Is the idea that, well, I can just meet God better at, and you fill in the blank. I can meet God better at a coffee shop. I can meet God better feeding the pigeons in the park. I can meet God better ice skating. I can meet God better hiking. I can meet God better on a golf course. I was reading about how uh, two guys have left the church. They're, they're done with church. Um, and their church now is they get together on Sunday mornings and they go golfing. And as they're golfing, they have spiritual conversations. And I thought, that is exactly the kind of church I want to go to. That sounds amazing. Uh, that would be so cool. Like two of my favorite things, golf and God. Let's put them together, right? And these ideas that I, I can meet God better at these other places. And my only question to that would be, what God are you expecting to meet? What God is it you're showing up to expecting to be there and to come into contact with? Because, and I ask that, I, I'm, I'm serious about that. There's no denying that God meets us outside the church. We, we're, I'm not here to tell you that doesn't happen. We all have great experiences, actually, of meeting him in unlikely places. But here's the deal. When our whole life in Christ takes place when, where, and how I decide to meet with him, I end up actually beginning to meet with a God of my own creation. I start meeting with a God that only wants to talk about what I care about. He only wants to talk about what I want to hear. And he definitely only talks about what I'm going through. Have you ever experienced this? It's dangerous to isolate ourselves for this very reason. It's what the psalmist is crying out for. Uh, it's dangerous to isolate ourselves because we have a tendency to forget, is what he says. We as people forget, and we forget the most important things. He says there in verse 3, he says, People ask me all day long, where is your God? One commentary I read said, you know what? There seems to be an indication that the psalmist has even started to ask this himself. We start to wonder, where's God? Because you know why? We forget. We forget what God has done. And when we forget what God has done, we forget what he's about. And when we forget what he's about, we forget what he said. And when we do that, when we've forgotten all those things, he actually becomes only my God. And he actually begins to look like me. Have you ever heard someone utter the phrase, or maybe even you yourself have said it, I could not believe in a God like that? Or my God wouldn't be that way. My God isn't like that. We run this risk of, of forgetting what God has done, even attending church. The habit or rituals actually become the expectation more than what the psalmist was crying out for, and that is to meet the living God. Two times the psalmist talks to us about remembering. 
remembering who God is and what he has done and what he has said and what the case he is making for us and what he's spelling out is we find God present in the church because the church reminds us. He reminds us all these things even when we don't want to remember. Even when everything in, in us hopes not to remember what God has said, hopes not to remember the promises of God, hopes not to remember what God wants for us and holds us to. When it's actually convicting And the scary thing about the church is it is the one place that we actually have to give up control to hear what God wants to say to us. Every other way that we come into contact with God, we get to control what is said. We get to control what is talked about. We can leave whenever we want to, right? The church every week is the one place we come into. You don't get to pick the songs. You don't get to pick what's talked about, what's prayed about, and especially what God talks to you about. It is the greatest area in our life where we have to say, God, it's yours. The amazing thing about this is what Wilson talks about where he says, to become a part of the family of worshiping believers is to become a part of sustaining community that stretches back for millennia and will stretch forward into the future until Christ returns. I think one of the greatest struggles in my life, and I think people that grew up in the church is, am I there simply because my parents went to church, right? I was, I, I've always struggled with that in my life. And this is what, working on this, I'm so glad Ed asked me to preach because this has helped me so much. The church is the one place that I show up to where I don't meet with my God. I don't meet with your God. I don't meet with our parents' God. I meet with the God. I meet with the living God who has things to say to me that maybe I didn't even want to talk about. And he's done that. I meet with the God that even when I'm unhappy, he's doing things around me that if I would just open my eyes to, he would show me how it's bigger than me. I think what the church does for us and how God is present here and how he speaks to us and works through us is a lot like before you meet your spouse. We all have these things that we know that we just like, like what the ideal spouse would be for us. And so we kind of have a list. Some of us write it down, but others of us, it's just in our mind. But we have a list of like what the ideal spouse would be. And then we come and we find and we meet that person that we love and we marry. And we, it turns out that they probably check none of those boxes that we had on our list. And yet they're way better than anyone we could have ever dreamed up, right? Because they have personality and they have humor and they have flaws and they're imperfect and, and they relate to us and how great that is. That's what it's like with God in the church. That we have this idea of what God would be like and, and, and how good he would be and then we come into contact with him in a way that we can't control him, we can't dictate to him and we find out he is way better than we could have ever imagined or come up with on our own. I think it's hard when we start feeling unsatisfied with our relationship with God. And usually the first place we turn to is the church. And so it's just, we have a tendency today to just leave it. We do this in every aspect of our lives, big things, small things. It's just easier for us to just leave. And so then we start to meet God as part of other things, hiking, coffee, golf, whatever it might be. Things that we like and we say, hey God, I'm going to go here and and you come with me and, and let's do that. The problem is, is what I realized in my, in my marriage just like a year ago. Uh, we had, uh, uh, Hannah and I have been together a long time, and it was always really easy for us to uh, spend time together. 
And uh, I, I never liked the idea of like intentional date nights, having to put them on a calendar. Because having to schedule out time with your spouse was for so- something that people that didn't love each other did. And we loved each other. And so it was insulting to me to think that like we would have to like schedule intentional time to be together. But it was like a year ago, it was about four or five months after Wesley was born. And uh, I realized that we had gone about five months until we had actually had like any time just us. First time in our marriage it had ever been like that. Uh, that everything had revolved around two kids that both needed diapers changed and needed us all the time and everything like, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, for, and it took me a while to come to, but I think once I came to it and I admitted that we needed to do something where we were intentional about scheduling time together and just about us. I think Hannah was like really happy about that. I don't know, you'll have to ask her. But I realized I needed something in my life where I said, I want to spend time with you and be with you, not by mistake, but because I know how much I need you, how much you matter, that you're the sole focus, that you're it. And that if I don't have that kind of time with you, that there is no other redeemable factor to this. There's nothing else in it. We all need something intentional in our life that checks off no other box than simply God. That the expectation is to meet with him. And if that doesn't happen, it's been a complete waste of time. But I can't walk away and I I can't say, man, but music was awesome. Or man, that was so great. That if God isn't there, it doesn't do anything else for me. God's presence in the church actually challenges me, me personally, weekly, about my priorities, what I can't live without, and whether or not I'll give up control to meet with him on his terms. It asked me, is my expectation that, that everything I experienced that day is the way I like it? Or is it simply enough for me to meet with him? Probably the greatest way he ever did this in my life was he moved us out here uh, from Kentucky, middle of the Bible Belt. We were in a church of 800 people. And uh, it, was, it, it was an awesome church. And he moves us out here to Portland, not the Bible Belt. Uh, to a church of 50 people. Not saying one's better than the other, but it was different. And very quickly, God started talking to me about, is it about the way things are or the fact that I'm there? And what matters more to you? Finding God here, having to carve out time intentionally, even when it's the most inconvenient. That's why we love the church because it makes us focus on the one thing that is worth focusing on. And the blessing is that this opens us up to God in ways we otherwise wouldn't know him, come into contact with him. Just really quickly, the way, think of the disciples. Jesus said, come with me, not because of what I'll do, but just come with me, give up everything. It's inconvenient, give up your businesses, give up your security, come with me. They did it. Think of all the things they saw. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal people, feed people. If they had said, you know what, Jesus, we'll be there when it works into our schedule, they would not have seen that stuff. God is present here, and he's present here in a way. We see him in a way that we don't anywhere else in our lives. And that's why we love the church.
we're going to move into a time of communion. And so just as we do that, as, as Ellie uh, and uh, the musicians are playing and leading us through worship, uh, we want his presence to be the thing. And so we want to invite you that as you feel led and as you feel comfortable to come uh, and, and take that. We are forgetful, and that's why Christ gives us this very thing. And he said, do this in remembrance of me, because it is easy for us to forget. And so he says, come together and remind yourselves what I've done and what I'm about and what I've said. On the night he was betrayed, he took the, bread, he took the cup, blessed it, gave thanks, said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant given for you. In the same way, he took the bread after supper, he broke it, gave thanks, and said, this is my body broken for you. Take this. Forever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim my suffering, death, and resurrection. I'm paraphrasing. You identify yourselves. You bind yourself to it. And I am there with you. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you and we proclaim with our lives our time, our focus, our expectations, that God, you're worth it. And you are the only thing that is worth it. So I just pray over us now that this would be a time that's all about you and we would walk away saying we have met with God and because of that it was worth it, no other reason. That our lives would be lived in a way where we say what I thirst for, what I desire, what I need is Christ and Christ alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen. For all the reasons we can talk about for why we love the church and why we think it's not just valuable but vital, probably the greatest is, is because God's here. And if he's not here, then it really isn't worth it. But we know because he set it up this way, he's promised, he's told us, and we even experience it, he is. And so that's why we love its history, its people, its theology, all those things, because in those things, we find God and he's the one we need. Go in peace this week to love and serve the Lord. God bless you guys. Have a great week.